1973, the New York City Police Department created a hostage negotiation team. It's not up against the gun. It's up against the man's mind. When you're defusing a human bomb, it's the same as when you're taking apart a real bomb. If you skip a step, it's going to blow up right in your face. Talk to Me tells the high-stakes true story of the world's first hostage negotiation team. It changed policing forever. Talk to me. You know, I got to tell you, I have so many garbage apps on my phone, I never know where to look for stuff. And recently, I decided to clean house. All the junk and clutter gone. This leaves me with my most cherished apps. You know, the ones that can do it all. Like my Live One app. Music, events, news, podcasts, comedy. Oh, and actual musical stations curated by humans, not those robots hanging out on Bezos's yacht. All this on one tiny little place on my phone. I've become such a fan of the app we here at the Adam Carolla Show will give you three months free. Jump on to liveone.com forward slash Corolla to lock in your deal today. And with inflation at an all-time high, this is a huge savings. Liveone.com forward slash Corolla for three months plus for free. No ads. Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Well, Jay Leno's joined us in studio. Jay Leno's Garage, of course. Never miss an episode of that. You can catch it all on uh, his YouTube channel, Jay Leno's Garage, and shoot him a tweet at Jay Leno as well. Good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, nice to be back. Uh, so first things first, uh, an outpouring of um, well-wishers after yeah, your people, accident. Very nice. I thought it'd be like, I hope you die, Leno. No, we didn't get any of that. Actually, actually everybody's very nice. I, I think, I think yeah, the president reached out to you. Yeah, president called a couple of times. Yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, I mean, they had to. I mean, everyone says, "Well, you know, you want to die, but you want to experience your funeral because right. you want to see all those people saying all those nice things." You, I, you I've never said close. that, but yeah, that, it was nice to see. Yes, but yes, this yes. was a nice test run. A nice test run. Yeah, it was great. It was great. It was actually good. It was actually good. I was uh, home watching all the entertainment shows and the news feeds and everything, and uh, it was it was if as if you were a beloved American character. Well, the funny thing I was like Entertainment Tonight because when someone is sick or injured or killed, they always play the song slower. Yeah, Jay Leno today. Yeah, my favorite is when the guy from TMZ who talks like a cartoon character gets sort of somber now. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, he was talking yeah. about Lindsay Lohan being drunk 10 seconds ago, but now we're entering my favorite a Harvey Levin, My favorite Harvey Levin story, uh, you know, he's a TMZ guy. Uh, he used to be the uh, courtroom guy. You know, but he used to be on ABC News yeah. at 11 o'clock. He was their... Um, like the what a Joel Grover what do they call him there yeah it right? was like consumer commander yeah, consumer or something commander. 
So one day I'm, I'm sitting at home and I meet my buzzer. I look on the camera. Oh, it's Harvey Levin, you know. He goes, hello, is this the home of Jane Leno? I go, well, this is uh, Mr. Leno's housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson. How can I help you? <laughs> he goes, uh, we're doing a story on celebrities who waste water. And Mr. Leno's water bill is uh, higher than normal. I said, oh, Mr. Leno is very thrifty about water. He, he's very careful and he makes sure all the faucets are working properly. And now we did have a leaky, a leaky uh, sprinkler system that may have contributed to it. Is Miss Lano there? No, no, Miss Lano's not here, but he, he gave me strict instructions. You know, so Harvey can tell, ask me these questions, right? So I go, well, thank you very much, right? So that night, I'm going to watch. So I, I watch an ABC really. Harvey, I'm outside the home of Jay Leno. He puts the mic next to the speaker <laughs> box, and you hear, oh, Mr. Leno is very thrifty about saving. And it says, Mrs. Hudson, voice of uh, Mrs. Hudson, Jay Leno's housekeeper. So when I called him back, and I go, you know, Harvey, that was me. I, I don't have a housekeeper. And he, that's very funny. I had never heard that one before. So uh, Jay showed me pictures at the Malibu Mart uh, several days back, which I would just describe as a crime scene and gory and a mafia hit where they were trying to send a message. The, the, the taglias. The pictures of your face that were just... Two weeks earlier from the time. Yeah, isn't I saw that amazing? That. And, and we, amazing. We did that in eight days, nine days. I, I, I mean, just unbelievable. So, how much time in the hyperbaric chamber? Uh, about four hours a day. <clears throat> and how much Chick fil A could you consume from inside oh, the hospital? That, that's what you had to do. <laughs> it's to a, it's a wonderful hospital. The food is, it's hospital food. But no, they were, they were actually very good <clears> at it. Because what happened was, I, I was working on this steam car and, uh, the steam car is an open flame because you have a pilot. Yeah. And well, I, set the table. And, what day is it? What time is it? It's Saturday about 1230. My friend Dave is there. Uh, and uh, I said, shoot me a little pressure through the fuel line so we can clear this line, you know. <laughs> okay. So it's nothing. I said, and all of a sudden, choof, I just get a face full of gas, you know, like maybe a quart. I go, Pah! and I just turn my head and I see oh boy because I went I went Dave I'm on fire and he went what don't get around I go Dave I'm on fire look at me so he looked at me and he pulled me out and then he jumped on me and we extinguished it but that time my face was pretty burnt so I said well let me go to the bathroom so I go to the bathroom I put cold water I go it doesn't look that bad you know <laughs> and he says no no we got to call Perma I said I don't want to bother so Burbank fire comes over and they go oh yeah this is pretty bad uh, really? Okay. I, I'm at, I said, I, you know, I'm at, uh, I'm at Flappers tonight. I, I can't, no, we can't do a show. I, okay. So they take me to St. John's and then St. John says, no, you got to go to the burn center. Okay. So, okay. So I go back to my garage and I drive out to the burn center. You drove yourself. I drove myself out to the burn center and I, I go in, I go, hi, I'm burned. Okay. Okay. We got to admit you right now. I go, well, my wife doesn't know anything about this. I, can I go home? For, no, you can't go home first. I go, guys, I, I got to. I can't. I got to go home first, and then I'll come back. So I went home, and I spent the night at home. You and spent the first night at home? Yeah, and then that morning, I drove to the burn center and checked myself in and <clears throat> took it from there. It, it's interesting. I mean, <clears throat> I'll say it so you don't have to, but you have a kind of stoicism. But it's not stoicism of, of literature. It's sort of like <laughs> you think about other people first. Like your first thought is, oh, I told flappers I was doing 20 minutes tonight. That's well, actually, your first... doing an hour and a half. But uh, yeah, okay. I'm trying to make you yeah. more stoic. Yeah, okay. So you, your first is like, I have this obligation. 
Well, it didn't seem that bad to me because obviously I can't right, see my Right, but that's part of the kind of stoicism. You know, a lot of people would have broken down, started crying and no, yelling no, at somebody around them. No, nothing worse than whiny celebrities. Uh, who, I, I know, agree. Believe me, people love to see rich people set on fire. <laughs> There's something in – you know, it's the kind of thing uh, you you make jokes about it. If you start going, "Oh, woe is me," and how painful, people go, "Shut up!" You but know? your your next thought is about your wife, and it's going to scare her. It's going to worry her. Right, right. And right. then you have this thing that I have too, which is I I just I'll just go home um, right. once I can if I can sleep in my own bed, I'll be fine. Exactly. Right. So I can't. Okay, let me backtrack for a second. You were sprayed with gasoline. Yeah, yeah. Was it immediately fire after that, or was there a beat or two of... Millisecond. And then fire. And I turned my head, and I saw the flame. So I quickly closed my eyes, and I held my breath, because I remember Nicky Lauder. Remember Nicky Lauder got sure. in the fire, and what did... He breathed in. He scorched his lungs. Right. So I said, okay, just... just I'm, I'm not a panicky person, so I just said, that's it, Dave, I'm on fire. Dave, I'm on fire. And he pulled me out. And then, okay, and then it was okay. You were under the car. I was under the car. He pulled me out. Yeah. And do I know Dave? By the way, Dave Kalaki, the big big guy, transmission guy, best He's... Allison transmission guy you're going to find. Yeah. Well, I was looking for a new Allison guy. So yeah. He's well, there the you guy. go. Dave's the guy to do it. Yeah, not the guy to to uh, kindle the hearth at home, perhaps. But if you no, have a an good Allison... guy, if you catch on fire, you want to have Dave around. Yeah. But if you have an, I mean, I probably would have lost his eye if it wasn't for Dave. Really? Yeah. Because he put his hand over my face, and and my face was on fire, so that burned his whole arm. So he got oh really? A, he got a bad burn also. So it, I I thought the reports were an ambulance picked you up, the fire department showed up, but you no, drove that, the yourself. No, the the ambulance, the fire department with the ambulance came to the garage, and they took me to St. Joe's. Oh okay. Yeah, and then I drove myself after you, that. You drove yourself back home. Yeah, yeah. Why did they let you leave St. Joe's? Well, you can't make somebody stay if they don't want to stay. I said, guys, I'll be back. I promise. But didn't they say it could get worse or there could be some scarring or some issues uh, or infection? Yeah, I guess there was some talk of that. But it, <laughs> uh, but it was it was all right. It turned out to be all right. And w- when you went home, then yeah. were you in exquisite pain? Because you burn your pinky and it'll keep you up at night. Yeah, it's, you know, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's. It's yeah, it's it's tricky. As I tell people, it's better than a broken leg. At least I'm not hobbling around. I mean, pain you can deal with, you know. And you go, okay, just just calm down. And, and it was it was okay. It was it was okay. I mean, once I got to the burn center, and they started treatment, it was you know actually you, your face is just wrapped in like a helmet for like nine days. And you're in the same room for, for, for nine or ten days. That'll drive you a little crazy. But uh, they were wonderful. It's a wonderful hospital. Probably one of the. It's probably the best burn center in the country. Actually, what did they physically do to get you looking? C- certainly, well, I don't want to say certainly, but a little bit younger than you looked Why, before the, the fact burn. that I have smooth skin, pouty lips, and a tight butt has <laughs> nothing to do with the fire. That was purely coincidental at the hospital. Well, it looks like you've had a surgery. appeal. Is huh? a women I did have a appeal. appeal. I showed you that, that picture where they take a circular saw. It's like the size of your hand. They put it on your face, and they literally, they literally remove your face and put new skin in. Where do they get the skin? You know, it's taken from dead comics. Like this whole arm, is, <laughs> this is all red buttons. This oh, whole, really? This whole arm is red buttons. Yeah, this is all red buttons. I got a little Shandling, mm. uh, John, some John Panette, a little bit of, oh, you know, because they want to make sure the DNA takes, it's comic to comic. You know? 
Yeah, John Panette had a lot of extra skin to go he, around. He did. God rest he did. his soul. But, yeah, we, we were going to make a car cover of what we had left. <laughs> Winnebago. Yeah. So um, you're in the hospital now, which probably drove you nuts because you're one of these people that wants to be with your stuff. You want to go do your do your work. So on you know, and so it's forth. funny. I thought it would be, but it wasn't that bad. You know, it's like during COVID. I never thought I would take like six months off and just sit. Mm-hmm. But then I realized nobody else is working either. So it's not right. like, you know, you're in a competitive business and it's usually if you're sitting, somebody else is working. Right. But nobody is working. So, you know, I was fortunate these things happened near the end of my career, not the beginning. So mm-hmm. you can kind of deal with it, you know, it makes it a little easier. Did you have that sort of – I I guess there's two types. Uh, I don't know. Some some comedians just want to go out and do comedy for the sake of comedy, and then others are a little more competitive. Like you're thinking, what what are my contemporaries doing? Oh, he got a shot on the Tonight Show. No, I never thought that. You know, to me, you can't think. You know, I was lucky when I started in Boston. For a year, I was the only comedian I knew. I, there really weren't any. It's not like today where everybody wants to be a comic. When you mm-hmm. went to the clubs. They, there weren't clubs. There were, there were nightclubs. And usually had like – like Bud Friedman used to say, three singers and then you because he had all – it was all Broadway singers and comedians were fairly rare. So mm-hmm. it really – so consequently, I didn't really feel competitive. You know, I would watch comics on TV and then when they uh, were coming to Boston or I'd contact them and say, you know, I'm a comic. You guys should stay at my house. Uh, that's how I met Billy Crystal. That's how I met Rich Lewis. That's how I met uh, – uh, Freddie Prince, all those everybody stay, stayed at my place when they played like the Playboy Club in Boston, you know. So I, I got to be friends, but I, I never judge my success against other comedians. I, you know, I would see new people come in, they get up at the Improv, and they get a few laughs because they're new. And then I, and then they're following Robin Williams and Letterman and Rob, uh, you know, all, just all the comics, and they would get all depressed. And they go, "Well, you can't just go at your own pace. You can't you can't judge yourself by somebody else." So, you know, I was thinking about your reaction to being set on fire um, and then always thinking about your reaction in the Hemi under glass wheeling funny car where you rolled over and seemed to sort of you're immediately concerned about the driver and you sort of were non frazzled by it. Um, And we may share this. Do you have a kind of a detuned wiring in that? And somebody was just telling me about a story about, you know, you're driving down the you're walking down the street and a car backfires and a large percent of people jump. But then there's some people you know that why don't they jump, jump because they think it's 1949 because cars haven't backfired <laughs> since true. about 1949. That's my favorite thing in L.A. When I, you know, when I heard it, I thought it was firecrackers. First of all, gunfire is way more prevalent in L.A. than firecrackers. Firecrackers you hear once a year. Yeah. Gunfire you hear every day. And it's so February. Oh, I thought it was firecrackers. Really? Really? I, I know. It's so it's so sad. But you, would you tend to jump? Are you wired no, that way. I'm not a, a jump guy. In fact, I have a funny video. I was sitting on a steam car. My friend Dave was doing something, and it just a loud boom, like boom, just blew all the insulation. And, and you see my friend, my friend Jimmy, just running at 100 miles an hour away from the car, and I was sitting on the car because once once it goes off, there's nothing you can do. Right. So you just have a kind of a you're kind of detuned that way. Well, I don't know. It's just I'm just not 
a panicky person. Right, but it's not just as it pertains to being set on fire or rolling a funny car. It's a kind of a way of life for you. Well, I don't know if it's a way. I don't think of it as a way of life. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean it's all you think about. What I'm saying is, is you, there's some people, if they came home and the pool had a big crack in it and uh, drained down the hill or something, they, they start screaming, my God, what's going on? You know, you yes, wouldn't, I know those people. You wouldn't have, yes. Yeah. You wouldn't have that reaction. No, no. And do you think that translates into going out on stage or at least did early? A lot of people are bundles of nerves or up in their head. You've always been a very relaxed performer. Was it always Well, I'm that a relaxed way? performer because I realize nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do a bad show, like I know people, I did a good show. I can never go back there. You can go back tomorrow because nobody remembers you. You, no, you didn't get a laugh. Right. Don't worry about it. It's if you were invisible. If you were right. killed and blowing the room out, oh, they, they'd wonder, you know. Right. And, and that's sort of my attitude with it. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'm digging too deep. Well, I don't know. I, I'm not very deep. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 pretty simple. I I just, uh, you know, the idea is if you make jokes about it, you have more fun with it. Nobody wants to see a rich guy whining and complaining because most people have their own problem. You know. I, I grew up in a small town, and when you grow up in a small town, and we weren't poor, certainly, but we weren't wealthy, but you grow up with that attitude of rich people don't have any problems. Mm-hmm. If you got money, it solves every problem. Right. To a certain extent, it does, and to a certain extent, it doesn't. But for a lot of people who, who don't have money, it does. All their problems will be solved for an extra 100 grand a year, or whatever it might be. You know, so the fact that something happens to you they got their own problems to worry about. So you make fun of your problems or your situation so they can at least have a laugh at your expense about it. You know? So you spend your first night at home in your bed. Yeah. Is your wife horrified? Is she telling you you need to go into the hospital? Yeah, because my face is now stuck to the pillow. Okay, <laughs> so I'm peeling that off. Right. Well, I'll tell you the funniest one like that. One day I'm asleep. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning and – I put my hand, and my hand's all wet. And I go, what's that? I go, did I wet the bed? How old am I? So I turn on the light, I pull on the cover, and the whole bed is covered with blood. And I go, okay, what's going on? And I look at my leg, and a vein popped out. And it's going, it's, it's like Spraying a, blood. It's just spraying blood everywhere. Oh, jeez. So I, I, I put the, I, I grab a sock, and I tie it around it, right, because we got white carpets. That's all we use. So, so I'm trying to get – I said, I got to get to the bathroom without ruining the carpet. So I right. tie the sock around. So I, I go to the bathroom. I stick my foot in the toilet trying to figure out what's going on here. And I wipe it off. And, and by this time, my wife wakes up. I'm gone. And, and the whole – Covered of the bed with blood. Is covered with blood. And now she's going, I'm in here, honey. It's fine. Who is that? Nobody attacked me. And I, 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 I somehow a vein had just burst on my leg. And, I mean, I went to the doctor the next day and I got it taken care of. But, yeah, it was the same kind of thing. It wasn't a panicky situation. It was just, oh, what's going on? You know? But you looked a fright, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and did you just go to bed that night? Well, I well I tied it off. I, yeah. Oh, I, I don't mean the vein. I'm sorry. I'm back to your face at that uh, oh, oh. at that point. <laughs> yeah, I went to bed. Uh, you know, so I went to bed and I woke up next morning and my face was kind of stuck to the pillow. I'm like peeling it because said okay. I I said I am going to the hospital. You know, I'll have one of the guys get you in. And we brought another bed in for her, and she stayed with me when I was there. That's sweet. Yeah, it was great. We had a, we had a fun time. You guys been married since 1980? Yeah, 43 years. Very un-Hollywood, very un-comedian-like of you. Not really. I find comedians either you get married a long time or it's just bouncing off the walls. Uh, but for I think for most part, Rickles was married a long time. Uh, who else? Uh, well, just a lot of com- like Billy Crystal, John Panette. Uh, was Panette married? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, but Call I mean, back. so no, I don't think it's any more. I think comedians actually stay married longer than other people in show business. Hmm. As certainly, probably more than actors. Yeah, directors, you writers. Need, you know, my wife is always a good audience. I could try jokes out, and she gets it and thinks it's funny. You know, the idea, you have to marry a woman that's funny. You know, I mean, I remember it was a couple months ago. It's in the middle of the night. My wife tapping me on the shoulder. She goes, honey, honey. I go, what? I love you. I said, you're having a nightmare. Go back to bed. <laughs> and she thought that was like the funniest thing. I mean, she just thought that was the funniest thing. And it, it, it just made me laugh. You know? Are you romantic? Do you celebrate anniversaries? Yeah, Do you buy jewelry? Just have my anniversary. Uh, well, no, I bought her all the jewelry. There's actually there's no new jewelry in the left to, in the world left together. So we usually, uh, you know, she works a lot with um, uh, women in Afghanistan and stuff like that. So I gave her, uh, well, scholarships for a bunch of girls. She, she she would find these girls in Afghanistan and and we'd send them to college. You know. How'd you guys meet? Uh, she's in the audience. I've been. Uh, I lived with five women and in my life, and all of them were born on the same day. Really? And when I met Mavis, I just said, hey, can I ask you when you're born? She said, September 5th. I said, okay. And I realized, okay, that I must have a type. You know? I don't want to get weird, but we're counting your mom? Mm-hmm. No, no, I didn't marry my mom. Well, you I'm said sorry. lived with, so I didn't, no, 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 no. I mean, I didn't live with my mom that I way. Wasn't I'm sorry, I should have explained. Sexual relationship. I, I forget. I, I, when when incestuous <laughs> Hollywood, I, you I, lived with five women before before well, I mean, you got married. O- over the course of years, you know. But you weren't. You weren't old. You know, forty three. I was ago. thirty when I got married. Yeah, I'm just saying that's five women. Is it? Yeah. yeah, every couple of years, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Were you a bit of a ladies' man back then? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But five women all born on the same. Uh, they just happened to, you know, yeah, I'll tell you a funny thing. One day I had Kathy Geisweit. Remember her? She, mm-hmm. she drew Kathy the comic strip. Yeah, Kathy I'm the ta- comic strip. I'm talking to her, you know. And I said during the break, look, I'm not hating on you. Please don't take this the wrong way. But I, I wrote a number. I wrote something down on a piece of paper. For some reason, I'm attracted to a woman born on this day. Just look at the paper and see if, is that your birthday? And she went, that is my birthday. I said, okay. Okay, that's all. I said, I, I, this I doesn't go any further. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to stop. I was just, because I felt an attraction. I don't know why that was. It just made me laugh. I just thought, okay. It's one of those things that is whatever it is. So you could feel, this is really kind of interesting. So five women all born on the same date and and well i went with other women too but i mean those were ones that were kind of serious right 
And then this is after you're married at this point. You see Kathy. Yeah. But you have a feeling. Like, well, I, I, I felt – I found myself being flirtatious with her during the interview. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm just curious. And she knew how to do it back. Being a, a sort of a comedian herself in a cartoon vein, of course, uh, she gets jokes. And I just remember, you know, sort of having fun and, and she was laughing. And I went, oh, this is – you know, sometimes in a woman's laughing at your jokes, and you know she's not forcing it. You know, it's all real. You go, oh, it's kind of fun, especially if you're a comic. You know, so that yeah. So uh, we're all over the place, but uh, in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, is have they are they surprised at the results they've had with you as quickly as they've had with you? Or are you a bit of an outlier because you really look well? I, I did. I did right now. pretty quickly. And I don't take any pain medication. I, I, I refuse to do any of that. Why? Well, the pain is there for a reason. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, my favorite, there's some commercial on TV. I don't know what the product is. A guy's at the fair and he eats six hot dogs. You see him. Right. And then right. he's like, they show him, oh, he's at home and he's sick. Oh, honey, take this. And he takes two of the pills. And then the end of the commercial, he's at the fair eating six hot dogs. Go, what are you doing? The, the, it's not to teach you how to eat more hot dogs. It's telling you you're eating – stop eating the hot dogs. That's, that's what you, that's the problem is. So to me, I just figured I, it was just better to live with the pains. Okay, this is as bad as it's going to get. Let's just see how – okay, this is not that. I don't need to take anything. Uh, you know, I, I'm just not that – I don't know. I remember when I first came to town, I went to uh, – I was broke. I had no money. And I went down to the unemployment office. Come and said that you can get money there, you know. What year is this? Oh, this is 71, maybe 72. And the woman said, did you work, look, look for work this week? And I looked at her. I said, oh, no, no, not hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I, ne- I never – I couldn't bring myself to go back. And I'm proud I didn't go back. I didn't take the money. I just felt better yeah, I'm, I agree with you, especially on the guy and his overconsumption of hot dogs. And I agree with you, your body's kind of telling you something. Yeah, yeah. But once... But it does make you stronger, doesn't it? Once you're sprayed, yeah. It doesn't I, make you stronger. I mean, when your face is burned and then it begins to tighten, you just feel the strength coming back again. And it's kind of a cool... I mean, I don't know. Are you most alive right before you think you're going to die? Is that probably true? Is there anything to that? You know, it kind of makes you appreciate it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, you said you weren't that deep five minutes ago, but I think you just went to the no, deep no, end, no, no, Jay. No, no, this is, but no. I – look, I I get many people who are recovering addicts and they go, I just don't – I can't go there. And then I agree with you what you say about the hot dog, but the being sprayed in the face with gas and sort of not your own fault, I don't know if there's lessons to be learned from it, but you're in the hospital, I think most people would take the Vicodin at that point. I don't, I don't know. I consider a personal victory not to. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you don't have to, I mean, obviously if the pain had been unbearable, just unbelievable, then I might've done it. Well, I, I think it may have been unbearable to some people. Well, that's possible. I mean, I, I do have a pretty high pain threshold, but that's okay. So, but I mean, there are other things. If you had asked me to spell chrysanthemum, I would have taken it for that because I, <laughs> right. I'm dyslexic and I can't spell. Uh, but, but no, not for this. And my attitude was, look, at least it's not a broken leg. Then I'd be hobbling for 
12 weeks. This way, did, I, I'm going to be riding motorcycles next week. I'll be fine. You know. Did you get diagnosed with dyslexia much later in life? Wasn't when you were young, was it? No. When I was, when I was a kid, this was a cure for dyslexia. Smart up. Smart up. <laughs> right. Smart up. Just get yeah. whacked in the face, you know. I mean, I never heard the word until I was like 19. Oh, that's I, – I just assumed, okay, I just kind of turned things around a little bit. So I, I, yeah, I didn't use it as a crutch or anything. It just, you know. I was considered dyslexic yeah. as well, except for I'm not. I just never learned to read or write. Oh, yeah, that's uh, – well, that's – That'll kinda, slow your roll a little bit scholastically yeah, yeah. as yeah. well. But I also kind of wonder if that's where the mechanical – stuff comes in because I didn't want to read and I didn't want to write and I didn't want to sit and do any of that. I wanted to get my hands onto something. Right, right, right. And I didn't know if it was the inability to read that pushed me toward the garage or the garage was just beckoning. Well, I was very lucky. I had, you know, I came from a small town where you had career teachers. I mean, here in LA, I meet a lot of teachers that are teaching while they're finishing the screenplay or whatever it might be, you know, but I, and I remember I had an English teacher, Mrs. Hawks, and she uh, one day she stopped me in the hall and she said, "Come here, Leno, come here." I always see you screwing around in class and telling jokes. Uh, and she said, "You know, instead of uh, writing a paper for my English class, why don't you give a talk? You give her like a ten minute talk on something." And I said, "Oh, okay." So for the first time in my life, I actually went home and enjoyed doing homework. You know, I practiced, you know, like a routine. Not very good, but okay. And I gave the talk. Oh, I got an A. And my mother was thrilled. I never got an A. And it was like, oh. And she said, you know, do you ever think about being maybe a comedy writer or a comedian? And I went, oh, no, no, not really. I mean, we live in Andover, Massachusetts. There's no place to be a, a comedian. She said, well, you should think about that, you know. And uh, and she really gave me the impetus for that, you know. I, I uh, She died very young of breast cancer, and we set up a scholarship in her name and stuff like that. And uh, but I was just very fortunate. I had very good teachers, so that that was a big help to me. That is very, especially back when. Yeah, yeah. I when mean, a teacher, you know, your kid was supposed to be seen and not heard, and there wasn't well, no, much then of that. I didn't grow up in Dickensian times. It wasn't <laughs> yes. the, you know we're like we were hunter gatherers, and uh, you know, no, I mean it was a school. You know. Yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is, is that's a much newer thought. The teacher gets involved and sees things in the student. Well, no, not really, because the late '60s was, <laughs> was when all that was starting. Yeah, I mean, I remember Mrs. Hawks had a whole class on Frank Zappa. Oh boy! And talking about the these lyrics and songs. What do you kids think of you know? And having discussions. So no, so it was fairly progressive. Then. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. the beginning of that movement. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's sort of when it started. Um, what you would have probably stumbled onto that your own on your own in pretty short time being a comedian. Well, but- probably I, I might have, but who knows? You never know where you know. I, I'm I'm a great believer in just. Pick a road because it'll just as long as it takes you somewhere, and and everything that I have or I get it seems to be because I did something else. I chose to try something different or something new, and oh, and it usually leads to something positive, you know. Yeah, I think you're you get up and you just go to work and you get busy and things start to start to happen. Right. As right. opposed, I think people, especially in this town, spend way too much time plotting. Yeah. Yeah. Versus just doing and things magically have a way of working out or opening up when yeah, you're just yeah, moving forward. Yeah, I see this forward. with comics all the time. They're more interested in impressing the other comedians 
Like I meet comedians, I'll, I'll say, well, every time I go to the improv, the comedy store, I do a different show every night. Yeah, but you get no laughs. I mean, it's a matter of just do the stuff that works. You know, you tape your 20-minute set, listen to it, and realize you only have four minutes of really funny stuff. So just do the four minutes and then add 10 or 15 seconds on a week or whatever it takes until you can build the whole thing up. But I, I always meet people that are so impressed about – they're so trying to impress the other comics in the room that they wind up losing the audience, you know? Yeah, there is a little bit of a trap being the comedian's comedian because it, in a way sometimes it means you're not the audience's comedian. That's right. You wind up being not the famous guy. You know who Joe Ansis was? No. Joe Ansis was a muse. He was a muse for Lenny Bruce. He was a muse for Rodney Dangerfield. He was what we used to call a table comic. You would go to the uh, – in L.A. at the time it was Cantor's or Nate Nell's right. Deli. And comedians sit around late at night, and Joe Ansis was a guy who would tell the funniest stories and right. have funny little analogies and phrases. And oh, uh, Joe, can I have that? Man, I love that. Joe, can I have that? Uh, so Lenny got a lot of his personality, and, and Rodney to a certain extent too. You know, I knew Rodney before the No Respect. Uh-huh. He was just a comic, and he used to do bits. I remember one he had that was pretty funny about uh, – Hi, this is your pilot, Captain So-and-so. We're flying over so-and-so-and-so-and-so. So and so and so. If you look out of the left side of the plane, you can see the remnants of Flight 118 that crashed and killed almost everyone on board. Bob, you were with me on that one, weren't you? you know, <laughs> I, he used, I remember that was one of the – he used to have those kind – but he, he would set up like a, you know, like a, like a, a play and just act the whole thing yeah, out. Yeah, kind of new hearty. And then I don't know whether – I don't know whether uh, the no respect thing came from Joe and I have no idea. Maybe not, but he was he was that kind of guy who would give you an influence, you know. When I hang out with you or I hang out with that kind of – there's a phraseology or something. You might – you're like, oh, boy, that's good. I like that. I love it. I wonder if Adam is doing that, you know, whatever it might be. But you, you listen to other people, you listen to them talk, and you pick up their rhythm, you know. Uh, but uh, to get back to what you're saying, a lot of comics become Joe Ansis. They're just not funny enough for the audience. They're funny for the comics, you know. Yeah, the way my Joe Ansis story would be, sometimes if people come up to me, and they probably do the same to you too, once you know you're a comedian, you know, and they go, who's the funniest guy you know? And they want you to say some name that right. they recognize. And right. I always go, the funniest guy I know you've never heard of. Right. He was Joe Ansis. Right, right. I haven't heard of him. Right. I, I roll pretty deep with comedians, but right. I don't know who Joe Ansis yeah. is, and you're not going to know who my guy right. is either he does crack up all the comedians. He does hold court. He does do all that. But he's so ensconced in that, he forgot right. about the audience. And Joe was long before your time. I'm not much older than you. So I'm another generation. And Joe was the generation before me. You know what's so funny? You watch comics now and everybody complains. Do you know what became of him? Um, well, I mean, I know he died a long time ago. He was not a kid. I don't know what he died of. I mean, probably. Well, did he of, make money in the business? I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. Wow. But, you know, it's so funny when I hear comics talk about cancel culture. And people don't realize. Do you know what a cabaret card is? Mm. In New yeah. York City, if you were a stand-up comedian, you got a cabaret card, mm-hmm. which was a license to stand on stage and perform. 
Yeah, sort of like and a Lenny, cab medallion yeah, or something. Yeah, well, Lenny Bruce had a cabaret card, and he'd sit on stage, and he started doing uh, interracial jokes and, and using four-letter words. And what Lenny is famous for, and a policeman went up on the demand his cabaret, tore it up, that's it, you're not working anymore. And he couldn't work. He, that's canceled. He had to go to court. Right. And eventually, then, of course, you had a new Supreme Court coming in in the late 60s, and then suddenly pornography, everything was out the window, everything was over. But, yeah, it used to be you got arrested. Right. You got arrested for being gay. Right. If you were gay, that was a crime. Uh, if you used four-letter words on stage. I remember Abby Hoffman came to the Boston Common to speak at the height of all of Vietnam and everything, and he used the F word through the microphone, which had never been done it might have been done, but certainly not to this extent. And on the Boston Common with the you know, microphones for 20,000 people, you know. And the cops went up and he got arrested, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember walking down the street. Uh, I went near the Paramount Steakhouse on Charles Street in Boston. And an interracial couple, black guy, white girl, come my way. A cop stops him and goes to the black guy, you walk that way? To the white girl, you walk that way. I see you two together. I'm arresting you. You understand? And of course, they split and hook up. That's right, right. Boston, two thousand and seventeen. I got news yeah, for you. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, yeah, it was it was it was a different time. Yeah, with real consequences. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now we talk about you know microaggressions and stuff like yeah, that. But yeah, these yeah. were overt aggressions. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's out hitting the head aggression. Yeah, I met my friend Amos Tucker. We were on a same thing. We're on our way to go hear Abby Hoffman speak. Cop goes, "Hey, hello, where you going?" And, we're go- and I said, we're just going for a walk, officer. And he said, we're going to go see Abby Hoffman talk about the uh, – so the cop, oh, yeah, did you think you'll do? Yeah. And he raises his night- nightstick and Amos says, first of all, you can't hit me with that stick because of the Constitution. Blah, blah. And this cop just beat the, <laughs> beat the crap out of him. I go, uh, Amos, uh, I think uh, – uh, okay, thank-, thank you, officer. That's fine. Thank you. I'll-, I'll get him home. And just beat the crap out of him with this nightstick. And I go, what are you doing? What do you mean he can't? What do you? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Well, it's interesting because you are very liberal in many ways, very progressive in other ways, and then very American and very. Well, I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just saying what it is. I'm not. No, I'm not condoning it. No heavens. Uh, no, no, I'm not accusing yeah. you of condoning that. What I'm what I'm saying is is. I don't know that people can figure you out. A lot of people, you know, wear their politics on their sleeve. A lot of people go, that guy's in that camp and she's over in that camp. But you're very libertarian, um, I guess. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But, I mean, you attended these things. You you come from a progressive era. You were the recipient of, of good yeah, teaching and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, my on, brother went to military school. Right. right? On the other hand, there's yeah, that. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd see nothing, you know. Um, I, I, I like the armed forces. I like the cops. I, I do right. benefits for, you know. Uh, um, yeah, it's hard to pin. Now everybody labels you one thing or the other, you know. For example, if you own a gun, well, you're also homophobic and racist. Well, no, no, not, no, no, that, that's not necessarily so. Right. So you can't sort of be pro-police and pro-military and pro-gay marriage in this new world order we're well, living in. I mean, in. obviously you can be, but it's just people look at you askance. If you, yeah. 
Well, the, I mean, you can be, but what I'm saying is, is we have to compartmentalize you into something convenient, and that's right. what ends up happening. All you right. know, that sounds fun. So, uh, and I think for you, you probably don't push politics out there because I, you know something. I stopped doing politics in my act last year. I, I, I'm doing this game show about your life, you know, and I sold it on the premise of there's no politics. We don't discuss mm. politics at all. And I see people come on who I know I'm not going to agree with that guy. Right. But since it never comes up, I realize he's a plumber. He's got four kids. He's happily married, goes to church, lives a decent life. Okay, we just disagree on this one issue and let's not discuss it, you know. And But I found trouble doing politics is you say, uh, today President Biden, and then the audience is waiting. Is this pro-Biden or anti-Biden? And they wait to the punchline before they decide if they're going to laugh, which – Ruins the whole premise of it. I mean, it just right. ruins the whole idea of the comedy is just that element of surprise of what the joke is, you know. So I, I just, I just took those jokes out. You know, I use Rodney as my model. I said to myself one day, you know, I've known Rodney Dangerfield for forty years. I have no idea who he voted for, what he thinks about any of the issues because we never, we just discuss jokes. Right. Just talk. Is this funny? You think this is this stupid? Is this too stupid? You know, and and that's really what it was. And I really and I Rodney was <laughs> Rodney used every possible drug you could imagine, and I don't do any. But we hit it off great because all we talked about were jokes. You, know? you will. You won't even take an aspirin after you've been set on fire. Uh, no, I didn't take any. Well, I, that really does doesn't do anything actually if you're on fire. I'm after. just saying in contrast oh, to Rodney's yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> personal yeah, yeah. Uh, drug in consumption. Like um, to say laughter is the best medicine. Actually, it's terrible medicine. It doesn't do anything at all. No, but the no. hyperbolic chamber, or hyperbaric, I should say. Hyperbaric. Yeah, that, work, that works pretty good. That works pretty good. But you can only stay in it so many hours. That... Do, do, do you find, um, speaking of, of you and the, and the big outpouring, so, you know, when, when you were in the hospital... Mm -hmm. Everybody from all sides of the aisle and, 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 and all over America and, and beyond all just reached out. Jay is an American treasure. It's basically that. <laughs> all right. That, well, you're a modest guy. But that, that was basically the outpouring uh, that I experienced watching all the news programs right. and, and things of that nature. Do you feel like since you stopped doing The Tonight Show – that you've had a bit of a re I don't want to say a renaissance, but like people look at you in a different way now, more well, as a I, pure comedian. I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I do sense that. I try not to, you know, I try not to believe the good stuff or the bad stuff. I mean, I meet comedians all the time. I go, okay, do you see what they said about me in the paper? Oh my god! And I go, nobody cares. Okay, nobody cares. I mean, how can you treasure the good stuff and hey, just? It's all the same. It's all the same. It's very nice if they say nice things. But if they don't, it's not the end of the world. You know, when you, I rationalize. How many people think read the newspaper? How many people think saw your article? They didn't, you know. My favorite thing is when I see people on Jerry Springer. I'm coming on national television right. to tell everyone, like all of America, oh, my God, honey, come in here. It's this guy from Springfield, Missouri, and he's talking about, you know. It just makes me laugh that people think anybody cares. Well, is it that... I've said this before to you, and I always want to be clear. I, it's not low self-esteem or no self-esteem. It's, it's a sort of a non-relationship with self-esteem. 
Like you might be confused if I said so-and-so was talking about you. You might say, why were they talking about me? I say I'm a huge believer in low self-esteem because it's the key to success. Yes. You know, you don't – if you listen, you you know, like most people can't do anything. And some people can do one thing. I can do one thing and do pretty good. But I can't spell. I'm terrible at math or whatever. So I hired – when I did The Tonight Show, I hired the best people I could. And I said, you guys run stuff. Just tell me when I suck. Please don't lie to me. OK. And they would go, yeah, you, you suck tonight. It was bad. OK. Let's make changes whatever. And, and and we had the same crew and the same – you know, I always tell – we had 64 children born on The Tonight Show. Our staff all intermarried each other. That was the one blues singer who was in the band, but I get what what you're saying. Uh I was just making a joke about a blues singer. But but, but, yeah, and so it was was just kind of fun. Everybody knew their job and they did it, and that was my thing. Just stand back and let – they know more than – the lighting guy knows more than you do. So do you feel like America – feels different about Jay Leno post The Tonight Show than they did during The Tonight Show. No, I think it's a cumulative effect. You try to live your life a certain way, and you try to do... The one thing I have noticed is I get a lot of... My mom broke down in 1984, and this guy who I later found out was a comedian stopped and changed her tire. I get a lot... I I hear those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I like Tim Allen. Huh? Tim Allen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a I, good get, dude. I, I get a lot of that. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, if you do those kind of things, it does come back to you. I, I, I do believe in karma. I do believe it it comes round again. You know, I mean, every good work you do, it's like six degrees of separation. It will, it'll affect somebody, you know? Well, I, I couch it this way, which, um, when you can agree or disagree, but. I know people that are very generous and they do a lot for people. I'll include you in that group. Jimmy Kimmel's a guy, including that group. He's very generous with his time, very generous with his money, but he's always been generous with his time. When I met him, I was nobody. He was very generous with his time. And I go, the guys I know who are the most generous and give the most away and have the most time seem to be doing the best. They yeah, seem to have. I think that's fair to say. And I don't want to turn it into a monetary thing, but if you do want to go down that road, they happen to be doing better monetarily than many of the guys that went to high school with who always want to know what's in it for me. Right. And I'm not going to do this yeah, unless I, think I get that's paid. That's fair to say, sure. So you can call it karma or you can just call it relationships, you know, and karma, it, which is. It just seems like common sense. It does, but it, it goes against. A lot of people who say, I want to, I don't want to do this thing unless I benefit directly and immediately from well, there it. Are some people like that, but you realize you are benefiting from it. When I was doing the Tonight Show, I mean, there was a point I was making, I was making $30 million a year. It was like crazy. Okay. And that's a lot. Of course, that's a lot of money. And then the Tonight Show, things started to happen. Network isn't doing what it was. And they said they're going to fire half the staff. I said, well, I, I, I said, how much money are you talking about? They said about $15 million. I said, cut my salary in half. Believe me, it's just my wife and I. We can live on $15 million, please. It's not the end of the world. And they said, do you want to do that? I said, well, let's see what happens. 
And we kept everybody on. We had the best crew. I mean, it was great. There was, I didn't have sandbags falling on my head. You know, How many times have you been on a show and you meet people who go, you know, I don't care if I get fired as long as that guy, as long as that guy loses his job. I, I, I see such anger all the time. People get worked to death. And well, I mean, the, the, the show, the venue, it takes on the personality of the host, just like the apartment takes on the smell of the people that are living in it. You <laughs> yeah, know, you, you open the door and you go, somebody's a cigar smoker here yeah. and someone likes cooking bacon. And you, you can tell when, when you would walk, when I would walk onto the Tonight Show set, everybody was relaxed. It was all the same faces year in and year out. There wasn't a sense of fear or right, panic. Right. And and so I knew that was a sort of top-down, trickle-down yeah. thing from yeah, you. Yeah. So I, I mean, always understood that. Yeah, that and, and that worked great. It's amazing how well that works. Yeah, I concur. All right, let me hit a quick spot, and then we'll uh, All right, I'll wait here. keep going. You wait there. Well, let me tell you about Snap-on. Today's episode is brought to you by the makers and fixers of Snap-on. Yeah, I would say I'm a fixer. Probably not a maker, maybe a maker of mirth, but a fixer. God, I've used my snap-on tools and fixed so many cars and so many things around the house. Oh, they just feel better in your hand. Makers and fixers, keep the world moving. You find them in factories, repair shops, roads and rails, buildings and maintenance and everywhere else. Makers and fixers are the backbone of automotive, aviation, agriculture, mining, marine and military and uh, I got to tell you, I just, it's so much better to do it yourself and to feel that tool in your hand and know it's the best with Snap-on. I know some makers and fixers. Um, I'm a fixer. I got a guy named Sean. He works with me. He's a maker and a fixer. And we only use Snap-on. Makers and fixers, not just a job. It's a calling. They want to hear from you. Share your story at makersandfixers.com slash carcast and check out the makers and fixers on Instagram. I'm interested in this uh, conversation and your candor, Jay. I appreciate you coming in here. And uh, I guess is for you, are you starting to open up more as you get older or have you always been wired this way? If I interviewed you when you were 40, would it have been a different experience? I don't think it would have been a lot different. No, I, no. I think I've always been pretty much the same. I'm. I mean, obviously, you change. You don't realize it, but you know, it's something. I remember there was some rock star. I don't know who it is, uh, who was a very progressive person now, and and somebody ran. He was English, and somebody had a video of him at some sort of riot that was on the news at the time just yelling racial slur. And this guy watched and he goes, that's me, but I never said, I had no, apparently he had changed completely, but Mm -hmm. he was 19 and, you know, from a poor part of London and, you know, everything was everybody else's fault. And it was just fascinating. So I'm sure, so I don't know whether I would have changed or not. It's not a question I should answer. Somebody else should probably answer it. But I don't think I would be, you know, I I think I'm pretty much the same. I've had the same sort of, you know, the great thing about doing The Tonight Show is I could observe show business without being in it. You know, I I love Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen's a friend of mine. I don't want to be Charlie Sheen, but I enjoy Charlie's antics. 
you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite one, uh, one time we have Charlie Sheen booked on the show. I get, I get a phone call with Donald Urhasa, Jay. It's, it, Debbie goes, it's Charlie Sheen. He's on the phone. What? Charlie, you're right. Jay, Jay, man, I was in the limo. We got T-boned. I said, you okay? Yeah, I'm the one-on-one. We got T-boned. I said, I'm okay. I, I can't make it. No, go home, man. Take care of yourself. I'm glad you're something. You okay? I'm glad you're okay. Great. Okay, good. I said, well, get, find somebody else. Okay. So I said, turn on the news. See anything about Charlie's accident, you know? Nothing on. So I said, give me, so I, I dialed, I said, give me the number of the uh, limo guy. Said, Hello? Hey, it's Jay Leno. Hey, Jay. Uh, I said, where are you? I'm out in front of Charlie's house waiting for him to come out. <laughs> oh, he, hasn't, he hasn't come out yet? No. <laughs> you didn't get T-boned on the 101? He goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> Stupid Charlie. So the next time we see him, I go, "What do you do? Did you really think you're going to get away? It just, it just made it was. It's like a kid going, "There's a monster under the bed." You know, it's right. the most ridiculous lie that anybody could check at any time, and it just made me laugh. I just thought that was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. Now, a lot of hosts would have been pissed off and said he can't come on for the next no, year or whatever. But, but it's not funny. I mean, just the idea that. I got T-boned. The limo burst into flames. It's on the 101s. Cars are everywhere. You'd think, woo, woo, this would be right. this, the story of the century. All he had to do was say, oh, I'm sick. I have a cold. Oh, okay. But just at the fact, this elaborate T-boned limo story, it just, it, it, like a child, it just made me laugh. It was very funny. What did you drive here today? I drove a 1959 Fiat 1100 Millicento. Mm. 10,000 original miles, original paint. Nice old girl. A lady bought it in 2006. She put it in, I mean, she bought it in 1959. In 61, she put it in her living room in Pennsylvania, and she kept it there until she died. We pulled it out in 2005, and I got it. Is much of your appreciation for cars is the story, right? Oh, yeah, I got to have the story. That's the best part. Because, you know, I'm always trying to think, like, Oh, there's a lot of guys that are Porsche guys, and then a lot of guys become Mopar guys. And yeah. the, the problem with a lot of car guys is they pick a lane, pardon the pun, and then they become a little less interesting because they go, I'm a car guy, oh, you're a car guy, and then you start talking to them, and they're just Mopar guys. Right, and yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden, they become sort of boring to me yeah. because they're essentially like saying some it's – like, it's like they say – I love comedy. And then you go, oh, good. I love comedy. Let's talk. And they go, just prop comics. Oh, right. And now you're really limited yeah, I, to I what got you a, can talk about. I got a friend about. like that. I, I had a Hemi Coronet, uh, 66. He goes, let me – he looks at the, the blog. Oh, this was made uh, May 2nd, uh, 1965. Right. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. I said, let me show you. It's Duesenberg. What's that? You know Duesenberg? Right. No. Uh, German? No, no, it's American. It was the most powerful American. <laughs> I mean, a car that any car enthusiast would certainly know. But no, all he all he knew was he was a Hemi guy. That right. Was. And I've run into that frustration a lot because you start talking to them about they, their car guy and you go, I, I got this 510 and Pete Brock worked on it. And they go, I don't know who Pete Brock is and I don't know what a 510 is. Right, and right. you're like, I thought you were a car guy. No, I'm a Hemi guy, you know. Right, right, right. So it gets a little confusing. It, there's a motorcycle version, which is the Harley guys. Right, Harley. Just Harley. That's all they know. And you can't talk to them right. about anything right, else. Right. And there's so much more. But every time I think of you, you're essentially the only car guy I know who's kind of a non-category all the way across the board car guy. Yeah. And I realize 
you're more about the story than the car, and that's why you have no category because there's no category for a story. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like I don't want a story and a Hemi. I'll just take well, a story in any the car, car. But sometimes it is a story, you know. So yeah, so yeah, essentially that's true. You're correct. And when you and we're talking in Malibu about uh, an old Jag that been. You, you like the buried in a garage for 40 years stories, right? Right, right. Those are my favorite. And I think I saw – what was the one you pulled out of Burbank next to the uh, bookstore that was Oh, that was a 1927 there? Duesenberg. That was a Duesenberg, That was the right? last Duesenberg built by the Duesenberg brothers before E.L. Cord bought it and said, I want you to build the biggest, fastest, most powerful American car. And they built the Duesenberg J, the one that made their name. Mm-hmm. But the Duesenberg brothers were engineers. They weren't stylists. So their cars were a bit frumpy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have a lot of style. Uh, so they didn't sell many of them. But engineering-wise, they were race car guys. They won Indy a bunch of times. Uh, so when E.L. Cord came in, said, oh, that's, that's when everything changed. And this guy had bought the last – it was called the Model X. It was the last Duesenberg built by the Duesenberg brothers before they – uh, built a Model J, and he bought it in Chicago in 1946, had it shipped to L.A., had it towed to his garage, put it in the garage, locked the garage, some minor earthquake, the garage shifted, and the, Couldn't car, get the, door open, the right? car was sealed for the next, well, I took it out in 2005. Uh, uh, and in purchased fact, from the daughter he had passed? Yeah, the daughter had no idea it was in the garage, but... <laughs> She had never been in the garage. The dad was that that much of a hoarder. And I used to drive by. That's not the car, by the way. Oh, oh, is that it? We're looking at a picture. Oh, yeah, that is the car. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, that's it. And you leave the patina on most of these cars. That one I I did. I just did the engine. I did the transmission and the brakes. And it was too nice to restore. So I I, I just kept it original. Because you could spend a million dollars restoring it, it wouldn't drive any better than it does now. Because the engine, everything is. Been and it's never going to have that patina again if you right, restore exactly, it. Right, exactly. And uh, so you drove. Now, see, I think most people would think it was sort of risky to drive around a miniature little 1959 Fiat here in Los Why would Angeles. It's it eh, just smaller, no airbags, no crumple zones. That, oh, that, that's the car. Yeah, that's that, my baby. Yeah, right that there. that kind of stuff. But also, I feel like they think it would break down a bit going up the four well, or five yeah, and overheat. Down. You know, I, I I broke down twice this week in my Mercedes six hundred. I was I was on the two ten. I'm driving along, and all of a sudden the front tire, boom! I mean, like a shotgun, and. The tires were, were starting to get dry rotted, and it just blew off the rim. I mean, nothing left. I pull over, oh boy! I open. My, look at that! I got a spare. I got the jack. I got everything. I put the original to spare, which is old as the car. Mid sixties. I put the spare on. I said something. You know, I'm going to drive home. I don't want to take a chance. What if I got another flat? I go five miles. Bam! Another tire. Pulls up, I go, okay, these tires are, are like aging out within seconds of each other. And then I had the flatbed at home again. And then I get it home. Okay, and I put four new tires on that. Perfect. And I'm going up cold water, sprag in the, uh, in the clutch. It just, just, just chews itself up. Okay, now I can't go forward or backward. So that's where I am right now. Uh, 
Yeah, a lot of people don't have that kind of dedication to drive something different every well, I, I, I like the challenge. I like the see. My cars. People aren't amazed that I got there quickly. They're amazed that I got there at all. <laughs> yes, I'm so saying you came in that. You know, that's my favorite thing about show business because the more successful you are, the more mentally incompetent people think you are. Like when you like you've done this, you go to a show and they go, "Oh, Jay, how'd you get here? I drove myself." You what? Yeah. Jay drove himself. Susan, come here. Jay, where'd you park? I parked in the lot. You you parked your own car. Bob, Jay parked his own car. You're kidding. No, he did. You parked your own car. And they're astounded that you can perform simple tasks. I mean, it's. Yeah, a comedian is one of those things that I ran into a, it a lot because a lot of people who used to say, you know, they'd interview me and they go, well, what, what was your break? How'd you get into show business? And I would say, oh, I was a boxing instructor and I taught Jimmy Kimmel. And they'd go, yeah, okay, all right, okay. And I'd go, no, that was my job. And that's how I met Jimmy for a radio stunt. And then, or I'd say, I used to be a carpenter. So, and they'd go, well, who, who did your kitchen? And I'd go, I did my kitchen. And they'd go, okay, get, get the hell out of here. Because as yeah, a comedian, yeah. you're rendered right. useless Other anywhere than. else but on stage right. telling, <laughs> telling jokes. And we don't, you know, if a fireman says, I built my own thing or I fixed my own car or I was a boxing coach or something, everyone goes, oh, good for you. Got another job. Yeah. You know, comedians... We get laughed at, uh, not with, but you are, I would say, um, you're not going to say, but I I will say that you are more knowledgeable knowledgeable about cars and car history than about anyone on the planet, simply because most people, as we referred to earlier, sort of pick a lane and they become experts in Cadillacs or or, or brass era cars or German cars or something. And and you could never know as much, like when I was a carpenter, I could never be as good a framer as a guy who just framed houses because I did finish work and swung doors and tile work. And you'll never be able to outdo the guy who's dedicated to one thing 24-7. But I'd say width and breadth of car knowledge, I don't know anyone who I'd put ahead of you in any trivia competition. Well, you probably got to get out more, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I guess that's good. Thanks. I would take it. So uh, no hesitation, back to the white 1909 steamer. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, uh, any thought about, I don't know, maybe I'll wear goggles when I climb under the car? Yeah, I probably, I, I should do that. I do that sometimes. I just didn't do it this time. But uh, yeah, sometimes I do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe a shield or some gloves or something yeah. like that. Well, you know what's interesting? You tell me, this is, sounds like something that's right up your alley. And this is something I've noticed. And I'm sure you have an opinion on this. I get a lot of guys come to the garage with their kids. And usually boys... Six to nine, the, you know, Lamborghinis, you don't see cars. And I've noticed in the last decade, maybe a little bit less, the kids come in and I go, hey, do you want to sit in it? No, it's okay. Oh, oh yeah. You should? No, it's, it's all right. And they're scared of their own shadows. It's, I'm like, I'm not saying kids should be crazy, but I, I just remember kids being, Billy, get off, get away, get away from there. And, right. you know, running over and kids especially boys being very rambunctious and whatnot. And I see this sort of, I mean, to have a, an eight-year-old go, isn't that kind of dangerous? Yeah. Well, well, no, it's not running. It's, if you're going to sit in it, you can't. No, that's okay. Well, I, I have many thoughts. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because I was speaking about it last night. And uh, 
I definitely want to hear your thoughts. Uh, when I was at the uh, Malibu Country Mart, when I was leaving, I saw that Jay uh, took a young man. Oh, I had to be a six, seven-year-old kid and sat it in the your McLaren. I hope that was your McLaren. Yeah, yeah, my P1. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Jay just popped the door of a McLaren and yeah. put some kid in it. But you're telling him, grab the steering wheel and blah, blah, blah. And I just had this recovered memory of what you're talking about post about the last 10 or pre the last 10 years is kids would jump into every car, grab the steering wheel and start shaking it back and forth, even if the car, you know, wasn't running as if they're being chased by the cop right, and they're right. Bonnie and Clyde and they're going, they were simulating right, driving right. as best they could. Right. Smash cut to now and the kid's scared to open the door and has right. to be coaxed into the cabin. Right, right. So something has happened. You're right. There were not only rambunctious, you had to yell at them to get out of the car. Not you, but the dad would. Right, right. And yeah, stop yeah. sawing away at the steering wheel. Um, I was talking about this last night. I'm trying to figure this phenomenon out. Uh, my, I have nephews. I have three nephews. I had one of them stay with me about eight or ten years ago. He was seven, sixteen, or 17. And I was like... Do you have your driver's license? Nah, nah, nah. I said, do you want a driver's license? Nah, I'm thinking about it. But I'm not that interested. I said, well, let me let me let me take you out driving. Let me show you how to drive. I was like, I, I don't think that'd be a, a good idea. Now you could imagine getting hold of a 17 year old Jay Leno, handing oh, yeah. him a brand new Audi A7, right, telling right. him let's go tear it up a little bit, and right. you you waving that off. I have a 16 and a half year old son. Same thing. Doesn't have his license. I keep telling him that we got to get you signed up for this. We got. Ah, why do we have to? Uh, I've been talking to uh, other parents who have teenage boys, especially. Yeah. Not interested. And and it's confounding to all us old farts because like all I wanted when I was fifteen and a half, I was counting the days. But it's funny because I remember my dad. My dad was not a car guy. But my dad would be, the car, you get a car, an automatic truck. What do you want to shift for? It's got an automatic. It shifts it right. by itself. You know, My dad could never understand why an old car would cost more than a new car. Right. Anytime I would buy something, I would go, you get a new Cadillac for that. What are you, what are you doing? You right. Know, he just never got it. So it's just it's like it's Cyclical. a generation. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. there is something in the zeitgeist where young males especially are not well, the only dying thing to I drive. Think, I think – the fear is fear of God has been put into them over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wearing a helmet to walk upstairs. You right. Know, you know th- this kind of stuff. Uh, I- I'm not saying that those things aren't good. I mean, yes, yeah, it's important. You should wear a helmet when you ride a bike. But it seems like you should have to twist their arm a little bit to get them to do it. You know. What yes. I mean? I mean, I, I, you know, I had the the Italian uncle syndrome. You know, hey, don't do that. Hey, Jay, come here. Yes, five dollars. Don't tell your mother. Okay, you know right. they they always had that kind of. You know, it's funny because I remember as a kid, and I I don't know if this is sexist or not. I don't think it is, but my dad would say, "Listen, I'm going to. I got to go out of town. You're going to be the man of the house. Okay, I need you to take care of your mother and make sure that yes, okay. You know, I was like nine or ten. Make sure the doors are locked. Make sure everything is done because." who I was the protector. And I'm sure if I had had a sister, he would have said the same thing. Or my mom would have said the same thing to her. So I think it was equal. But it's just a matter of making kids feel as if they are special. You know, like when we would, when I was a kid, I would go, Dad, why do I have to put a tie on to go out to dinner? Because we're Italian. Okay, that's what we do. 
Right. You know, everybody else that got T-shirts with obscenities written on them. Right. And I'm in a little jacket and tie, <laughs> you know, eating meatballs and spaghetti, you know. And I said, why do I have to wear a tie? Well, because we're Italian, you know. So it always made me think Italians were special. We weren't, but it made me – it gave me a certain pride, you know. And I thought, okay, maybe – I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. I got news for you, Jay. We are special. That's right. The Paisans. Right. And yeah, another topic for another day. But I do agree that – Safety is fine, but living in fear isn't, and it has its repercussions. Right, and, right. Certain, and some of those chickens are coming home to roost and now. There, there is something to taking a chance. Oh, I mean, yes, you have to take. You know, like I was, I was never a good athlete. I was in sports, and there was Jay. You suck. You're not a fool. Okay, now every kid gets a trophy, and everybody is. Everybody's the same and don't keep right. score. And yes. It's not if you win the game. It's how, no, it's if you win the game. That, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah uh, there's – it's it, not everything that is safe is good, is good and or healthy and it has its repercussions and yeah. sort of downstream effects that you should factor in. And I always said that I played Pop Warner football. I played football from the time I was yeah. seven times. I, I got ever, so much out of it. And everyone is so worried about injuries now. And I would say yeah. breaking breaking a forearm, that's uh, that'll take six months to heal. But being a pussy is a lifetime sentence. Right. And that's what we're working no, yeah, on I now. Know. I remember I'd say something. And and the mother would say, don't do that. I'd go, well, listen to your mother. Your mother knows best. But at least the kid knows, oh, somebody. Yeah, I, I, it, I, it's hard to put into words what I'm saying, I guess. It's just the idea that uh, I, I just remember the grown-ups would give you a wink. You know, like my uncles would go, hey, Jay, don't do that. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, I think we. I can sum it up by saying if you grew up in this modern zeitgeist, especially here in Los Angeles, I don't think Jay Leno would be the Jay Leno that we know today. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm saying yes, or you definitely would have been wearing goggles when you're underneath that. That's uh, probably true. That steam car. All right, Jay Leno, Jay Leno's Garage, of course, on YouTube. I never miss an episode, and you can shoot him a tweet at Jay Leno as well. And uh, the car care products, uh, can we give a plug? Are they out? Yeah, and about? they're doing really well. And we're in, we're in Walmart. We're on uh, we're on our own Jay Leno's Garage website. We're on Amazon. Uh, yeah, we should do about. 12, 15 million this year in sales, so it's doing really well. Couldn't happen to a better guy. I'll be at the Tucson Rialto Theater coming up the December 15th. So come on out and see me. It'll be at the Tempe Improv, 16th and 17th. Until next time, Sam McCrawler for Lewis Howes and Jay Leno saying mahalo. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com.
You know, I got to tell you, I have so many garbage apps on my phone, I never know where to look for stuff. And recently, I decided to clean house. All the junk and clutter gone. This leaves me with my most cherished apps. You know, the ones that can do it all. Like my Live One app. Music, events, news, podcasts, comedy. Oh, and actual musical stations curated by humans, not those robots hanging out on Bezos's yacht. All this on one tiny little place on my phone. I've become such a fan of the app we here at the Adam Carolla Show will give you three months free. Jump on to liveone.com forward slash Corolla to lock in your deal today. And with inflation at an all-time high, this is a huge savings. Liveone.com forward slash Corolla for three months plus for free. No ads. Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. All month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couples retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.